You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning, Creekside. Good to see all of you, the Mass congregation. Uh, Because of a, a recent court decision, there are no longer capacity requirements on churches. And so um, you no longer need to register uh, which service you're going to come to. You can come whenever you want. So hopefully one small step toward normalcy. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen on uh, the 15th, but hopefully uh, these masks will be just a dim memory someday. And uh, we'll all say, oh, that's what you look like. You've you've aged. And uh, (laughs) it'll be good. When I was a, a child, I cannot remember my parents ever resting. They were always in motion. We uh, owned a small neighborhood grocery store, and my dad worked six days a week, 12-plus hours a day. And then on Sundays after church, he would drive around to various customers collecting uh, what they owed. That, this is right after the earth cooled before there were credit cards, and so uh, all of our customers had, customers had a running tab at our church, at our, at our store, and uh, most of them had very dim memories, and so he had to go around. And my mom was even busier. She was constantly in motion, either on some project at home or working beside my dad at our store, and, and I just remember any time I was with either one of them, I felt guilty if I wasn't being productive. Uh, never took family vacations. It was just all work all the time. But I had hope because I knew, one, I wasn't going to live at home all my life. And two, we learned in school that as technology increased, the average work time for Americans would naturally shrink. And I looked forward to, as an adult, a life of leisure made possible by technology. We know how all that worked out, right? The average hours... Working hours in America began to rise in the 1980s and have continued to rise ever since. Um, In fact, many people today see work and rest as competitors. And if you take time to rest and to recreate, it's because you lack drive, you lack initiative. What I'd like you to think about, what if, what if overwork and exhaustion is not only making our lives shorter, but making us less productive? What if uh, work and rest are not competitors, but they're complementary? And what if God didn't just design us to work, but he also designed us to rest? That's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Jeff has been talking the last couple of weeks about how we are created in the image of God. God made us to be in many ways like him. And because God works, we work. Well, in Genesis 2, we learn something else about God. And and let's read these verses. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day 
and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now that's a puzzling passage, isn't it? Because you think after God finishes the work of creation, why would he need to rest? Because God doesn't get tired. In fact, Isaiah, whoops, I forgot that verse. I'll tell you what it says. says Isaiah 48, verse 12, I think it is. Um, It says the Lord does not become weary or tired. His, His energy is limitless. He is the one being in the whole universe who's not losing energy and all power and energy comes from him. And so the question is, why does God rest on the seventh day? Well, that Hebrew word that Moses uses for rest means just to stop. It means to cease, that God stopped creating. He continued to work. He has continued ever since then to sustain what he made and to guide what he made, so God is still at work. But God really underlines the fact that he rests, and I think it's for our sake, that God rests so that we will rest who have been created in the image of God. That rest is just as much a part of being created in God's image as work. And I want to look at two reasons why rest is essential as we, as we look at how we are created. One, rest is essential for a healthy relationship with this world. And second, rest is essential for a healthy relationship with God. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's pray and, and uh, see what the Word has to say. Father, thank you for your Word that works in us, that you speak to us and change us and renew us and strengthen us by your Word. You've said you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Help us to replace the lies we believe with your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I think the reason that the scriptures start right off by saying that God rested. Not only did he rest, but he set the seventh day apart. He didn't do that for himself. He did that for us because we are built to rest. Even before the fall, we need to rest. And that's why the fourth of the Tenth Commandments is, and you probably know this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work. You are your son, are your daughter, your male, or your female servant, are your cattle, are your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Rest is so important to God that God tells Israel, who haven't taken a day off for 400 years as slaves in Egypt, he says, I want you to take one day a week to rest. And not only are you to rest, your kids are to rest. And not only are your kids to rest, your employees are to rest. And your animals are to rest. And and anybody who's visiting you is to rest. You're all to rest.
When I directed the Ministry of Crew at Cal, I had a, an older couple on my staff team uh, working with graduate-level students from other countries. And uh, he had been a, a very successful research scientist and, uh, and uh, used to get so engrossed in his work, he would forget to go home at night. But he realized that the longer hours in the lab were not resulting in more productivity, that he was actually losing his creativity, and, and he became religious about getting eight hours of sleep every night. And uh, he had such a great ministry with the, the students he was doing research with from other countries that he finally just left the field of science and went full-time into ministry to them. But as I remember him, we made the mistake of, uh, we had our staff meetings on Sunday nights for a while, which was a real mistake. And, uh, but he and his wife, they would always leave right at, at, before we got the staff meeting done, because he had to get his eight hours in, and yet, and I couldn't say anything, because he, he was so old, and, <laughs> but he was the most productive staff member I had. We need, we're built to rest, and if we don't rest, our work suffers. Have you ever gone for a long time without sleep? When our daughter was born, she had colic. And so she just screamed all the time. And we went so long without sleep. For a while, we were afraid we were going to die. And then we were afraid we weren't going to die. And, and, uh, but, you know, you, you just you can't focus. You gain weight. Uh, you get mad or sad easily. You get sick easier. You, you get into wrecks. I mean, we need sleep about as often as we need water. Uh, sleep is absolutely essential. And if you're an athlete, you know how important recovery is. You, you will not get the benefit of your exercise if you don't take time to rest afterwards. For a while, I was swimming every day, and, and I realized I wasn't getting any better. I just kept getting injured. And I did some research about recovery, and when I went to an every other day regimen, rather than every day, I began to improve again, and I stopped getting injured. My body needed to recover from my exercise. And the great lie that a lot of us believe today is that the more hours you work, the more productive you'll be. Isn't that true? But in the studies that have been done, working too much is just as unproductive as working too little. I read about a study of, of people who are at the top of their fields, mathematicians and scientists and artists and authors and musicians, and all these people work about the same amount of time each day, four to five hours of, of concentrated, focused work with lots of breaks. Uh, uh, Scott Adams, who created Dilbert, uh, gets up at 5 a.m. every morning, eats a protein bar and a cup of coffee, and by 5.10, he is at his desk, and he is at that desk for three to four hours, and he's done for the day. And then he goes and hits the gym. And, and that's the pattern that Stephen King, writer Stephen King, uh, Raymond Chandler, Ernest Hemingway, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, 
Ingmar Bergman. The list just goes on and on of some of the most productive, creative people in the world have followed short, intense, focused times of work with lots of breaks, lots of doing other things, lots of recreation. Now, if you work with people, you can't work that way because people are all, or if you have young children, right? Because somebody always always needs you. But if you've got work to do, if you can find some time in the day that you can just wall yourself off and really use that time, rather than trying to work throughout the day with constant interruptions from all these people, but just have it kind of focus time and then time with people. If you're a parent of young kids, you got to work as a team um, or you're not, you're not going to survive. Uh, when our kids were young, I would get up early and meet with the Lord while they were asleep, and then they'd wake up, and I'd get them breakfast and take them out for a walk or play or something like that while Lori got her time. But we had, we had to work together. All that to say is that God has designed us in such a way that when we take time for rest, when we balance work and rest, we are functioning better. And you can really see this in the history of, of Israel. Uh, in Leviticus 26, God tells Israel, you're not only to rest one day out of the week, you're to rest the land one year out of every seven. That, that on the seventh year, don't plant, don't harvest, don't plow, just let the land rest. So the land will be replenished. And of course, the Israelites would ask, well, what are we going to eat? And God says, if you'll obey me and only work six years out of seven I will make your harvest so great in the sixth year, you'll be able to eat from it for the next three years. And then he adds in Deuteronomy 15, on that seventh year, the sabbatical year, you're also to forgive everybody's debts and free all the slaves. And if you'll do that, look at the promise here, the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. I will, if, if you balance work and rest, I will bless you. Well, the sabbatical year command was one of the many commands that Israel never obeyed. And they went for 500 years, and then God had warned that if you do not keep my commandments, I will take you out of the land so the land will get its rest. And sure enough, after 500 years of ignoring the sabbatical year, the Assyrians and the Babylonians came in, defeated Israel, took them out of the land for 70 years, one year for every seventh year they had neglected. So the land finally got its rest. The point is that God has created us and created creation in such a way that everybody needs a balance of work and rest. It's to have a healthy relationship with this world, we need time to rest as well as time to work. More importantly, more importantly than that, we need rest for uh, a healthy relationship with God. Why is it that the fourth command of the Ten Commandments is the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. Why is it that the early Christians did not observe the Sabbath but worked on Saturday? Well, Christians would have told you the Sabbath 
is just a picture of salvation. And once we're saved, we no longer need the picture. Let's look at the book of Hebrews. We'll start with Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, the Hebrew Christians knew this passage by heart because this passage was read every Sabbath in the synagogue. It's from Psalm 95. And it recalls a very sad story in the history of Israel. God delivers Israel from their slavery in Egypt, leads them across the wilderness with great miracles and appearing to them as a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He feeds them. He gives them water. He protects them. He guides them. He brings them right up to the border of the promised land, the land he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, here is my gift to you. Here is a land flowing with milk and honey. All you have to do is go in and take it. And by the way, you won't be going alone. I'm going with you. I'll fight the battles for you. All you have to do, everywhere your foot will tread will be your land. And the Hebrews began to weep and wail. And they say, God has brought us here to kill us. And they beg Moses to take them back to Egypt. Can you imagine? And God gets angry. And he says, the trip to the promised land is off. Because you refuse to trust me. You are going to wander around the desert for the next 40 years until all this generation has died. And your kids will go into the promised land and they will enter it. And, and the point here the author's making is that in Psalm 95, God calls the promised land, what? His rest. His rest. Now the writer to the Hebrew Christians now applies this to their lives. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. From reading the book, the letter of the Hebrews, we know that not everybody in this church was really a Christian. A lot of them were turning back to Judaism. They were going back to the old, the old traditions, the old rituals, all these things. They were, they were falling away from Christ and going back. I'm afraid that not all of you are really Christians. I'm afraid that not all of you have really put your faith in Christ. You are in the same position that those Hebrews in the wilderness found themselves in. That's his argument here. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also. Hebrews in the wilderness had heard the good news of the promised land. God says, you won't believe this land. It's a great land. There, there's houses and cities you won't have to build. And there's lands that have already been plowed for you. You don't even have to plow. 
and, and it's a land full of milk and honey and, and abundance, and, and you'll have great peace there. The Hebrew Christians had good news preached to them. Jesus has freed you from sin and death by his finished work on the cross and at the grave. So both groups, see, had had good news preached to them. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. You are in the same situation as the Hebrews at the border of the promised land were in. Most of them, all but two, Joshua and Caleb, did not believe God and refused to enter in. And therefore, God says, they shall not enter my rest. There are people in this church, in the church of the Hebrews, who have not believed the promise, and so you haven't entered his rest. And so the question would come up in their minds, then, well, what is the rest of God? Because we've been in the promised land for hundreds of years now. So what do you mean you shall not? You know, how are we in danger? What exactly is God's rest? And here's, I want you to see, watch this. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Where, where is that written? Genesis 2, we read this morning. Easy question, okay. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest, Psalm 95. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, the, the Hebrews in the wilderness, he again fixes a certain day in Psalm 95, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, let me try to make this simple. The promised land is not the rest. It's a picture of rest. The Sabbath is not the rest. It's a picture of rest. Joshua leads the next generation in, and they take over the promised land. 400 years go by, and then God, speaking through David in Psalm 95, says, you still haven't entered my rest. You still haven't entered my rest. If the promised land are the Sabbath where God's rest, rather than just pictures of God's rest, he wouldn't say that. But what he's saying is, you haven't entered the rest yet. There still remains the true rest of God to enter. What is it? For the, no, back, sorry. For, where am I? For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. What is the rest of God? The rest of God is salvation. It's entering into fellowship with a God who is at rest from the seventh day, which is, continues on, and enjoying fellowship with him. And, and the way we enter that rest is to rest from our own works, rest from our own attempts to have a relationship with God, and rest instead of what Christ 
has accomplished. And therefore, he says, therefore, to the Hebrews, Hebrew church, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience, of unbelief of the, of the Hebrews in the wilderness. That's why we say around here that the difference between religion and Christianity is two letters, right? All religion is spelled D-O. Because every religion throughout the world has one thing in common. It is all about what you must do to have a relationship with God, to have eternal life. Rules you must follow. Rituals you must observe. Meetings you must attend. That's religion. It's your works, your behavior, your accomplishments that earn a relationship with God, right? Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E because Christianity is not about what I do to earn a relationship with God. It is about what Christ has done to save me. And I am saved when I stop doing and I rest in what he has done. That, that Jesus became a man to do for me what I could not do for myself. He lived a perfect life that I am incapable of so that when I rest in his perfect life to save me, God credits me with that perfect life. It's as if I lived it. He dies on the cross in my place bearing the guilt of my sins so that God can pardon me, right? And, and so I, I, becoming a Christian is, is I stop working and I rest in what he's done for me. Again, the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works. Look at what Paul says in Romans. Uh, he says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. The Sabbath is a picture of salvation. The promised land is a picture of salvation. But it's not salvation itself. That's why David can say to people who have lived in the promised land for 400 years, there is still a rest to be entered. It's why the writer to the Hebrews can say to these Hebrews who have observed the Sabbath all their lives, many of whom have lived in the promised land, there is still a rest to be entered. The rest of God is salvation is resting from my works and depending on God's works. How can you tell if you have entered God's rest? Let me give you one way to tell Imagine that you die today. And today you find yourself standing before the throne of God. And God says, tell me, why should I let you into heaven? If you say, let me, let me think. I went to church every single Sunday. I was faithful to my spouse. I never strayed. 
I tithe all of my income. I never voted for a Republican. I never voted for a Democrat. I led a Boy Scout troop. Whose works am I depending on? My own, right? But if I say to God, Jesus died for me, and he promised that he who comes to me I will in no way cast out, I've come to him. I am resting in what he has done. That is the person who is truly saved. That is the person who, who gets this. Does that make sense? And so you need to ask your, yourself, am I really resting in Christ's completed work for me? Am I, am I trusting him completely, or am I still depending in one way or another on who I am and what I do and what I accomplish? If, if I don't do this, if I don't pray enough, or I don't read my Bible enough, or I I, I, whatever it is, God is not going to love me as much. God is not going to provide for me. You're, you're living on works. You're not resting. Does that make sense? Now, we enter God's rest by resting in what Christ has done. But we just don't enter it. We live in it. And, and rest is a picture of our ongoing relationship with God. And, and this has been a real hard one for me to get because I'm your, your typical type A. Pedal to the metal, get the job done, don't get in my way. Why is this thing taking so long? You know that kind of person? And it's taken me a long time to learn how to enjoy the rest that I entered when I came to know Christ. Because I entered by depending on what Christ had done, I live in the rest by continuing, by depending on what Christ is doing. Here's some verses that have really helped me on this. Isaiah 30, 15. In repentance and rest you will be saved. That's what we just talked about, right? In repentance, I repent from depending on myself to save me. And rest, I rest in what God has done to save me. That's what saves me. Got it? That's how I enter. And in quietness and trust, is your strength. Why do I find strength in quietness and trust? Who am I depending on? Am I depending on me? Or am I depending on God? So the way I, I, I access God's strength is not by frantically trying to get things done or being in a rush or a hurry or angry all the time because I'm not accomplishing the thing. It is being quiet before God and trusting God that he is going to give me the strength to do what he wants me to. And I like uh, when, when uh, Moses was leading God's people across the wilderness, he said, I don't know what to do. How can I lead this great people across this pathless desert? How can I know where to go? And look what God says to him. My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. I want you to see the connection between presence and rest. If I am living in God's presence, I'm experiencing rest. God says, all you have to do is stay in my presence. 
and I'll do everything else. I'll, I'll lead you in the way you should go. I'll provide food. I'll provide water. I'll protect you from your enemies. All your job, you have one job, just stay in my presence, rest in my presence. See that? And Jesus describes a relationship with God in exactly the same way. Look at uh, um, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Isn't that interesting? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, quoting the Old Testament. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus talks about a relationship with God, but he uses an implement of work to illustrate what resting in the Lord means. Isn't that interesting? The yoke. He's speaking to agrarian people. They've seen lots of teams of oxen pulling a plow under a yoke. But when he says, learn from me, they get another picture that one of those ox is a student ox. He's a, he's a young calf. He's just learning how to work in the yoke. So you got the old experienced ox and the young calf yoked together. Who's pulling the weight? The old ox. And the young ox's job is just to stay in step. The old ox will provide the power. All you have to do. And Jesus says, that's what a relationship, that's how you find rest. Rest is not idleness. Rest is just staying yoked to me and depending on me for direction and for strength. You see that? And that's why Jesus says in, in John 15, 4, another picture of our relationship with me, Abide or rest in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Just be a branch. Stay yoked to the ox. Stay connected to the vine. And the more you do that and rest in my sufficiency, go where I go, do what I do, say what I tell you to say, you will bear fruit that rest and work are not competitors, they're complementary. Say, what does rest feel like? It better tell you what rest doesn't feel like. When I'm reacting to my situation, rather than responding to God, I'm not resting. When I feel like I've got to solve the problem now, I've got to give advice now, I've got to correct this person's opinion now. I'm not resting. When I feel hurried, panicked, anxious, frantic, angry, I'm not resting. Because all those things are indications that I have taken responsibility to solve these things rather than depending on him and finding out. That's why Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. How did Jesus live? Jesus says, I say nothing on my own initiative. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I do nothing on my own initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I don't even come on my own initiative 
The Father sent me. And I want to teach you how to live the way I live. See? So that's what he wants, wants us to learn. I, I was talking to a young, younger pastor this week, and he's a frustrated guy. He, I'm close to burnout. And, and as we talked, he says, I, I'm frustrated with my church. Nobody, the, the, no, but very few people are coming, and the people who come want bring their friends, and I'm just, I, I'm just, I'm mad, I'm angry, I'm anxious. Things just are not developing the way I think they should develop. And, and I could relate to him very much because I spent years in being angry with God that he wasn't following my plan for building, <laughs> for building the church. And so I suggested to him that he resign as pastor and let Jesus be the pastor. And he just take the role of a sheepdog. Because Jesus is going to build his church. He said, his, your job is not to build the church. That's Jesus' job. Your job is just to stay in the yoke. Your job is just to hang on to the vine. Your job is just to seek Christ's presence every day and then do what he gives you to do with the power he supplies. Does that make sense? Resting means being so convinced that God is sovereign, that he's in control, and that he is going to give you the power and the direction to know what to do when you need to do it, and just resting in that. I, I went for a walk this week, and, I, and my plan was, you know, I've always got to have a plan because that's who I am. Uh, my plan was to spend the time in prayer. And I knew how long this particular walk takes, so I brought my prayer list for, that would take that long to get through, okay? Don't scoff. That's just, just how I am. So I get a few, you know, I get a few blocks down the street, and I see my, my neighbor, Doug, walking his dog up ahead. And I say, oh, no. If I catch up to him... I'm not going to be able to have my prayer time. And that's what's important right now on John's agenda. So I stop, let him get further ahead. And then I go back to praying and walking. I come around the corner and he stopped <laughs> talking on the phone. Now here's where resting comes in. I had to decide, does God want me to pray or does God want me to talk to Doug? And I had to surrender myself. This must, be, this must be God's will. God doesn't want me praying right now. God wants me to talk to Doug. So I, just, I basically just said, okay, Lord, and put away my prayer list. We had a great conversation. I, I found out all about how the, the circuitous, serendipitous route he got into his present job. It's, it was an amazing story. And just talked to him all about that, found out a lot about him. And I said, you know, as a pastor, I don't think I ever told him I was a pastor before. He said, as a pastor, I, I think you'd have to say the Lord has guided your steps to get you where you are. So like, we had a great, great conversation. But it just reminded me that there's my plan and there's God's plan. And I can fight to hang on to my plan or I can rest in God's plans. Rest and work are complementary. 
He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Resting is not idleness. Resting is simply making your, the presence of God your priority and then doing what he tells you to do. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these chapters from Genesis who ans which answer so many of our questions. Thank you that you have created us both to work and to rest. And I pray that we will understand how to rest in your presence throughout our day. We pray in Jesus' name.